All right. If you'll take a, your copy of God's Word with me and turn to the book of Ezekiel. We will be in chapter 33 tonight. Will not be a long passage tonight. We, uh, we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit about how to handle the next few chapters and uh, just kind of felt like it was best to break these up into a, a few separate sermons instead of trying to preach an entire chapter at one time. There's just a lot uh, in these chapters and, and we felt to, to do justice it would be best to break them up and, and take them a few, uh, a few sermons uh, as we move through these. So we'll be going through verses 1 through 9 tonight. Let's begin by reading. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows the trumpet, and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound, he heard the sound of the trumpet, and did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But... If he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any of them away, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. This is really a, a pretty heavy passage, even though it's only nine verses. Oh, I pray that... God gives me grace and uh, freedom to, to speak tonight and to do this, this passage justice. It's, it's weighed heavily on my heart as I've studied and I've gone through these verses and I've tried to prepare to speak to you guys tonight. Um, I, I, I will begin by covering the passages, the, the verses obviously, and, and uh, we'll talk about the meaning, the, the context of these, these verses. But I'm going to do a little bit different than what we probably normally do uh, when we, we go through a passage. Uh, because of the nature of this passage, I, I want to give the application uh, that was there for Israel, the people there in Babylon to begin with. I'll speak some about the application of, to Ezekiel himself and, and how this uh, would have been applied to him and, and then what we can take from that. And then ultimately, we'll end as we do most of the time with application to ourselves in this passage tonight and how what we can glean from this tonight and, and how we should leave church tonight and, and uh, apply it to our lives. So we have reached a turning point really in the book of Ezekiel as we get into chapter 33. Uh, several things begin to happen in this chapter that will carry on for the next several chapters. For the first 24 chapters of this book, Ezekiel had been sent to the people of Judah there in Babylon, who were captive there in Babylon, to preach to them the judgment that was still to come on Judah and Jerusalem. Specifically there, he was to preach the judgment on the people of Judah for their rebellion against God, right? That's why the judgment was coming. Their repeated refusal to listen to the warnings 
that Ezekiel had given them and prior prophets had given them through the Word of God. Then as chapter 24 closed, Ezekiel was told by God in that chapter that he would be mute. Ezekiel would be mute. He would be unable to speak any longer to the people of Judah, specifically about the judgment still to come on Jerusalem and the people still remaining there in Judah. God's warning at that point had been, had, was finished. He was done warning them. It was over. His promises were soon to come true. And so Ezekiel was to be, to be mute as to those, those judgments, those judgment prophecies and those warnings to the people of Judah. But that did not mean that Ezekiel was entirely mute or unable to speak and prophesy. We studied several prophecies in which God gave Ezekiel in chapters 25 through 32. Prophecies which still promised... Judgment, just not against Judah. And, and again, we've just finished those, those prophecies. Instead of judgment against Judah, those prophecies and those chapters were against the surrounding nations who had both been wicked, idolatrous people and who had mistreated the people of Judah, Israel, throughout their history and recently had mistreated them and caused hardships. Nations which included Tyre, Egypt, Ammon, Moab, Edom, and Philistia. Now, back in chapter 24, when God told Ezekiel that he would be mute, he told him it would not last forever. He was not going to not, not ever be able to speak to the people of Judah again about, uh, about things concerning them. Chapter 24, in fact, verses 25 through 27 read this way. As for you, son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, Surely on the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes and their soul's desire, and also their sons and daughters. God speaking of that day when judgment would fall upon Jerusalem. On that day when He was to do all that. On that day a fugitive will come to you to report to you the news. On that day your mouth will be open to the fugitive, and you shall speak and no longer be mute. So you will be a sign to them, and they will know that I am the Lord." So Ezekiel would again speak to the people of Judah then, from God. This would happen after Jerusalem had been sacked by Babylon. Messenger, messengers would come to Babylon, to Ezekiel there in Babylon, and, and he, they would give him the news of the city being sacked and, and the people being taken into captivity. And upon receiving that news then, God tells Ezekiel that his tongue would be loosed again and he would uh, be able to prophesy again. God would again give him a word concerning the people of Judah. And we see that take place here in this chapter. That's where this begins. In fact, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 33 here, the fulfillment of this promise from God to Ezekiel is seen. We, we won't read into that. We will get to that eventually uh, here in the next couple of, uh, of weeks. But verse 1 really is the beginning then of Ezekiel's prophecies to the people of Judah again. He is now to speak to the people of Judah again concerning them concerning the people of Judah and prophecies concerning their future. That likely puts the date of this prophecy sometime around April of 585 B.C. is when Ezekiel gets this word from the Lord to speak to the people of Judah. Importantly though, the subject of his prophecies after the fall of Jerusalem, after he is to speak to the people of Judah again, concerning the Israelites, beginning here in chapter 33 and moving forward, they will be vastly different from the prophecies which He spoke to them prior to this passage or prior to this, this chapter. While Ezekiel had preached judgment for so long to the people there in Judah or of Judah, 
Now that God's judgment had actually come, His promises had been fulfilled as to His judgment on the people there in Jerusalem and Judah. Ezekiel is now sent to the people with a message of hope and restoration. This is really the normal pattern for God's prophets. This is not abnormal. They preach warnings of judgment throughout the history of the Old Testament. They preach messages of repentance. But God always gives them a word of hope and restoration, which His people could look forward to despite the judgment He would bring on them for their rebellion. Look, we can just start by saying what a wonderful God, right? What a gracious God. I mean, even in the midst of this, this judgment and this horrible act of wickedness and evil which Israel and Judah had been a part of, God is still providing hope for them. He's still providing mercy for them. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do any of that. But He's a good God. He's a wonderful and gracious God. Let's not look over that. Now, even though this message of restoration is soon to come as we get into these passages and these chapters, Ezekiel here in our our verses, our first nine verses, he is sent to the people to remind them really of his prior ministry. He is sent by God to tell the people of Judah and their leaders that despite their doubts, despite their refusal to listen to him, to God's word, his word did in fact come true, really to their detriment, right? In, in our passage tonight, verses 1-9, through nine, God tells the people what Ezekiel's heavy responsibility had been as God's prophet, as God's mouthpiece to them. And He tells them that Ezekiel had, is vindicated, really, from any doubts or any hatred which had been directed His way due to that message, because that message had been fulfilled. That responsibility had been faithfully carried out, and His prophecies had come true. The title of my sermon tonight is, The Watchman. The watchman. This passage itself is pretty straightforward and pretty easy to understand. I'm sure as we read through that, that, that it read pretty easy. In verses 1 through 3, God begins by speaking to Ezekiel and he says, O son of man, speak to your people and say to them. The son of man was to speak to the sons of his people, to, to Israel. God will use this common picture then as we go through this passage. He'll paint a picture for the people of what Ezekiel is to speak to them about. It would have been something they were familiar with. They would understand easily as they would have seen this played out in their lifetimes. Probably before they got taken into captivity as they were in their cities. They would have understood the responsibility then which came and that they took in their judgment which came upon Judah as Ezekiel spoke this word to them. Now, I want to begin by, by noting here the, the actor. Speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land, if I bring the sword. We notice God is the actor right immediately. God is the one bringing the sword here. If I bring the sword, meaning that if He brings war on Israel, brings a nation against Israel in war, if he does that, which had just happened with Babylon, right? I mean, this had just taken place. And these captives, if they hadn't already made it from Judah to Babylon in the third wave, they, they, they were there for the first two waves, right? They were part of previous captivity, previous war with Babylon. So they knew exactly what God is talking about, what Ezekiel is saying here. So God says, once again, reminding the people that He is in control here, right? That, that He is the one pulling the strings. It wasn't just some coincidence that this had taken place, that Babylon had invaded. It wasn't something that had taken God by surprise. 
It wasn't something where Babylon and their, their gods, their little g gods, were stronger and, and greater than Yahweh, the God of Judah. And so they had come in and taken them by surprise and, and defeated Judah. No, God was in control. And God had used Babylon to judge them. When I bring the sword. That's a message they heard repeatedly already, right? I mean, Ezekiel had repeatedly told them God is in control, but God is once again making sure they heard it again Now they've heard it after Babylon has defeated Jerusalem and and this fulfillment of His prophecy has taken place. God says if He brings a nation against the people of the land, Israel, and they take one of their men and and make this man a watchman. As I mentioned earlier, God is using a very recognizable picture here. He's starting to paint this picture of of a spiritual application that, that He wants the people of Israel to see. He wants them to understand. They knew well what a watchman was. Even though most of us, we don't see this in action today. We don't see a watchman in this sense today unless maybe we've served in the military or perhaps maybe in law enforcement there's some sort of a watchman which, which is out there and that the picture is easily seen through that. But we can still easily see the picture of what God is saying here about a watchman. We can understand what a watchman is. Understand the message then what God, that God is sending here. It was a very common thing for a nation to take a man and, and place him in a tower on a wall. And, and that man was then tasked with the responsibility to watch out for dangers approaching that city. This was especially common and especially important during times of war. Any additional time that a city and its people had to prepare for an attack was crucial. And, and the watchman was put in place to give them that time to warn them of the danger to come so they could prepare for this. So the watchman was quite literally the difference between life and death for the people in that city. A watchman is what the name implies then, right? He is a watchman. He is to watch. He is a man whose sole responsibility it is to warn people about danger heading toward them, specifically heading toward a city here in our analogy. God says that if He were to send an army then to attack Israel, and there is a watchman who is put in place whom Israel had chosen for a lookout for that danger, if this watchman sees this danger coming, the approaching army, and he blows his trumpet to warn the people, then he has done what he's supposed to do, right? He's, he's fulfilled his responsibility. The watchman had a, had a ram's horn. We see it called a trumpet here, but really it was akin to a ram's horn. And, and he would blow that, that horn for all the city to hear at the sight of danger. Upon hearing that message then of danger from the watchman, the city and all of its inhabitants, they were put on notice. They were put on notice of danger incoming. They are warned that there is danger imminent. The obvious thing for them to do then would be to take all measures that they could to protect themselves from that danger. The city would fortify, to, fortify itself by their army. They would put additional barriers to make walls and gates stronger. The inhabitants would assist in any way possible that they could, but if they were not assisting, then they would go into hiding in the safest place that they could get to. The point being, the watchmen would sound the warning And the people would respond by acting in a positive way to that message, right? Respond to that message. They would would do all they could to flee or prevent the danger coming to them. In verse 4 though we read, Then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning... 
he would have saved his life. So in verse 4, God says that if the watchman has done his job properly, if he was attentive to his surroundings, if he was looking to the horizon and the far off distance for any approaching danger, and upon seeing that danger, he quickly blew the trumpet to warn the city of that danger, if he did that, but there was one or even many within the city who heard the trumpet and ignored it and decided not to respond to the warning message, well then, when the invading army came and, and killed him, then his blood would be on his own head, right? Meaning that if the watchman does his job and warns the city, it is then the responsibility of the people in that city to hear the message, trust the message, and seek protection. If they refused to do that and they died because of their failure to respond, then it was their fault. It was not the watchman's fault. The watchman did all that he could. He fulfilled all of his responsibility, yet the people still refused to listen. Now that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, logically, as we think through that as human beings, it sounds ridiculous that anyone would refuse to listen to a, a watchman's sound of warning of an approaching army, right? Uh, I mean, to begin with, the city, as we read in this passage, they would have chosen a man that they trusted to be the watchman to begin with. Such an important role had to be given to a man who they knew would be vigilant and he would be honest. Someone they could trust to not only be attentive to his responsibilities, but also someone who they knew would only warn if there was an actual danger. I mean, he wouldn't be like the boy who cried wolf, right? Who, who just would cry of an, a danger that was out there, but that wasn't really there. They were crying that a wolf was coming, but there was no wolf just to have some attention, right? Just to draw attention to themselves. No, if this man, this watchman, cried and blew the horn for danger, the people would trust it. They would know there is real imminent danger on the way. By heeding that warning provided by the watchman, then the people in the city would save their lives. But on the other hand, according to verse 6, we read, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. If the watchman then sees this trouble and he does not blow the trumpet to warn of this danger coming and someone in the city dies by the sword that falls on the city, this danger that comes, well then, the blood is on the hands of a watchman, right? Even if the city might have known that there was a potential danger out, there, danger out there, that war perhaps was coming, they still needed proper warning to prepare, right? The city would not have had time to fortify itself. They wouldn't have taken the necessary precautions to prevent death and destruction. Lives could have been saved and deaths could have been prevented just if the watchman had been faithful to his responsibility. But he was not. God says that the blood of the dead then would be on His hands. He would be held responsible for the death of others because He had failed to carry out His responsibility. And I know it seems obvious, but don't overlook how important the watchman's responsibility was then, right? Again, many depended on this watchman and their lives were either saved or lost depending on his message. Just as it would have been ridiculous, though, to think that a city would ignore the warning trumpet of a watchman, it is equally ridiculous to think that a watchman would see an approaching army towards his city, his people, 
his brothers and sisters, his family, see that danger and decide not to warn them. He would either have to be very callous, or he would have to be a traitor and, and on the other side, really. God has so far painted then a very clear picture, an obvious picture for us. But before we move into verse 7, I want to point something out. I want to notice here, I want us to notice here in verse 6 how Ezekiel begins to weave in the spiritual application that God intends in this passage. He states that the one who dies here, the one in the city who heard the trumpet and refused to listen, excuse me, the one who, uh, who was in the city and did not hear the trumpet because the watchman did not sound the trumpet, The one who dies because there was no warning. He is taken away in his iniquity. That's what we see here. He dies in his iniquity. Now, humanly speaking, if a watchman fails to warn a city of coming danger, then it would follow the responsibility for any deaths which came from it would be entirely his fault, right? I mean, how could the inhabitants of the city protect themselves or even know a danger was there without the warning? Cities often were attacked attacked without provocation or, or reason other than an invading nation wanting to expand their empire. But here Ezekiel says that even though the watchman failed to warn, the one who died in the city still died because of his iniquity. I want us to remember back, just to begin in this passage, the application, the, the, the immediate context of this, who this is spoken to. This is spoken to the people of Israel, right? God had sent the army, right? We need to keep that in mind. They, they would die because of their sin. That's the iniquity, is their sin. These in the city, even without the watchman's warning, they died because of their iniquity, because of their sin. So we see clearly here, there's a spiritual application in this picture. The army came upon the people of the land by the hand of God because of their iniquity, right? The attack on on Jerusalem, really, which is the picture we see here, was because of their sin, If they died, whether they had warning from the watchman or not, they died because of their sin and because of God's judgment. And still, we see God states that His blood is on the hands of the watchman. They had responsibility because of their sin and their iniquity, but the watchman had responsibility as well. And he will be held responsible for failure to warn. The iniquity of the people in the city did not absolve the watchman from his responsibility to be vigilant and to warn of the coming danger. Okay, so with that painted picture, let's read verses 7 through 9. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So here in verse 7, God tells Ezekiel, here's the picture. You are the watchman. You are the watchman to Israel. Ezekiel was placed as that watchman really all the way back in chapter 3. Now, I know it's been a while since we've been there. But if you want, turn with me to chapter 3. We'll read that. We'll read the initial responsibility placed on Ezekiel here as a watchman. There in chapter 3 of Ezekiel, verses 17 through 21, God tells Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. 
Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul." Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin. And his righteous deeds that he had done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you have delivered your soul. So much of that we, we see... Just almost said exactly the same here in our passage tonight, right? But that was the initial responsibility given to Ezekiel all the way back in, in chapter 3. He was told to be a watchman. He would be a watchman for the house of Israel. Ezekiel was given a word, given many words actually, by Yahweh Himself. He was given that word for a specific purpose, right? To tell the house of Israel of their sin and of their rebellion to God, to their God, Yahweh. He was given a word to call them to repentance. He was given these words to warn them of the judgment to come if they remained in their sin and they failed to repent of their sins. So God says that when He spoke to the wicked and He told them they would surely die, then it was Ezekiel's responsibility to warn the wicked. God gave that word to Ezekiel. If he withheld it, if he kept it to himself and did not speak to the wicked and warn them, the blood would be on his hand. But if he spoke that word and was faithful to give God's message to them, the blood would be on their hands. It would be completely on them and he would be absolved. Now in this chapter, God is making clear then, Ezekiel was faithful to that calling. For years, in fact for roughly seven years, Ezekiel had been a good watchman to the people of Judah. We've seen that as we've worked through this book. As Warren Wiersbe puts it, Ezekiel turned the light of God's Word on the nation as a whole. I love that simple sentence. Despite the wickedness of the people of Judah and the utter darkness they lived in during the life of Ezekiel, God's Word was still light, right? And through the mouth of Ezekiel, that light was turned on for the whole nation to see out of darkness. Unfortunately, they chose to turn away from the light and they stayed in darkness as a, as a, as a nation. They were as the world described, as the world is described, they loved darkness more than, than light, right? They loved their sin more than light. Still, they didn't take away from the beauty of the light and the hope in Ezekiel's message consistently given to them. But Ezekiel's message now, it is still one of light for the people. A future looking hope now from God. So here in our passage, Ezekiel, or God is reintroducing the theme of Ezekiel's purpose and being sent to the people of Judah, which was repentance. But now it is, as we will see as we move through these, these chapters, it is not repentance because of judgment and because that judgment was coming, but instead repentance in light of the fact that the warning of God's appointed watchman had come true and what that meant for them future looking. That, that's what we have to look forward to as we, we work through the remainder uh, or the, the next few chapters and, and the messages that are to come to Israel. 
So, having worked through the passage, what is the purpose of the message for Israel? Well, the primary purpose I've just stated, I've already stated, Ezekiel was to remind them of his message after the fall of Jerusalem, right? Remind them of the prophecies which he had, he had given to them from God. And in light of the fulfillment of those prophecies, of God's message through him, he was to remind them of that and speak to them again. What else should they have taken from this? Well, for starters, we know Ezekiel, or excuse me, we know Israel was wicked, right? Israel, throughout the history of the nation, has a vast role as a wicked people. We've seen that over and over just in our, our book. God promised them that He would judge them for their wickedness, right? And He had promised this way back when Moses spoke to them, Right? He promised them if they turned from faithfulness, if they were like the other nations, if they turned from Him and no longer had faith in Him, He would judge them for that. And this warning, so this warning had been in place for a long time. So why then was Ezekiel still required to go to them? Why didn't God just judge them and be done with them? Well, because as I started off, God is merciful, right? He gave warning after warning after warning. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them, you are disobeying me. You are a wicked people. You're being wicked. And judgment is coming from my hand. It was coming soon. And it would happen as I promised The people should have recognized this. They should have known that. They should have seen the truth of that message. Despite their hatred of Ezekiel's message, they should have seen it now even more than ever that the fulfillment of that message had come, right? And the mercy in that message should have been seen by the people there in Judah. They should have seen the truth of that message. What was the purpose of this message for Ezekiel as God's watchman then? And what can we take from that today? Well, even though they had been warned by Moses and it was in their sacred writings which they were to study and learn and teach their children, as I just stated, God had sent them Ezekiel to warn them more. So what was Ezekiel to do? Well, he was to go, right? They had the message. They had been given the message by many prophets. They had it in their sacred writings, but God, he was still to go and deliver that message. That was his calling. That was his responsibility as God's mouthpiece. God had chosen him to deliver the king's message. And so he was to go without question and faithfully fulfill that responsibility. God had already spoken very condemning of unfaithful watchmen years ago through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 56.10, God compared unfaithful watchmen to blind men who were without knowledge, silent dogs who cannot bark, and lazy men who slept all the time instead of being vigilant. That's what God called unfaithful watchmen through the prophet Isaiah years before Ezekiel came on the scene. These unfaithful watchmen there in Isaiah were a reference to the irresponsible leaders and proclaimed prophets who only cared for themselves and nothing for the people. So they were worthless. Ezekiel was not to be like them, though, right? He was to be a faithful watchman. And he was. Whether it was difficult or not, whether this message was difficult for Ezekiel or not, He was still to go and preach that message, right? He was to preach the message of the king. So 
how do we take this today? Or how do we apply this to ourselves today? Well, let's begin there. Whether a message is difficult or not, we are to give the message clearly, right? And as God gives it to us in His Word. But we are not to give a different message than the one God gave to us. We are not to give a sugar-coated or watered-down version of that message. We are not to take it and make it more palatable because we have in our finite minds that that palatable message is going to work better than God's message. There are so many quote-unquote Christian preachers and pastors and congregants who are, are failing as watchmen. Not really even because they're not saying anything, but because they're giving a false message. They're crying peace, peace, just as the false teachers there in Judah did during Ezekiel's day. They're ignoring God's Word because they have no reverence for it. They have no fear of God and they are failing to warn countless people of the danger on the horizon that the watchman is called to give. Look, it's easy to think that this is a calling given just to elders or preachers or evangelists or even Sunday school teachers. And there is a unique responsibility, especially for elders in a church, to preach God's Word faithfully, to warn congregants of sin that, that we see in the congregation or potentially in our lives around in the congregation and to warn either visiting people or non-believers, who no one, people who have not made a profession of, of what is to come, the judgment to come, if they do not repent and turn to God and away from rebellion of the king. There is a responsibility, unique responsibility given to pastors and, and to elders to do that. But that responsibility is not entirely on elders and preachers and Sunday school leaders. It is on all of us. We have all been commissioned to give the world the king's message. Right? We have all been given the responsibility to be watchmen we are to tell others of the good news. The good news of Christ. But that message is also a warning, right? It is good news to those who respond because it is good news for their salvation. But if it is not, there is not a response, a positive response, and there is continued rebellion, that message is a message of judgment as well. And that is part of our responsibility as watchmen to warn of the judgment to come. There have been people who have been truly led to think that it is proper and right to spread a message of acceptance and tolerance and love only. That that message alone will save the world from hell. And while there are elements of acceptance and tolerance and certainly love in the true gospel message, there must also be a message of judgment in that. If a man doesn't know there is danger, then how will he know to flee from it? How good is a watchman who fails to warn the city with urgency or with full truth? If a whole army is coming and the watchman tells the city it is just a couple of men coming, how will that save them? If they sugarcoat the message, basically, how is that doing the city good? Will that protect them from the danger to come? Will it make them woefully unprepared when it gets there. So we must ask ourselves this question after studying a passage like this. 
do we want blood on our hands as watchmen? Or will we be faithful watchmen to tell others of the judgment to come? I pray we all can say, as Paul said in Acts 20, as he met with the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem, knowing he would not see them or that church again, he told them this. He said, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of, you among, none of you among whom I am have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He knew this would be the last time that he would see them. Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Ezekiel was not, did not shrink from his message. He faithfully gave that to the people of Judah for years and likely with very little response. But he still faithfully gave that message. And he was also, as Paul stated, innocent of the blood that came upon them. We too are called to give that message of warning. To give the message of judgment to come for sin and iniquity. Because it is coming. Whether we give it or not, it is coming. And people will be judged for their sin, whether we give that warning or not. The question just becomes, is the, warning, is the blood on our hands because we failed to give that warning? Or are we absolved because we have fulfilled our responsibility? And that needs to be done, not just because God has told us to do that, which is the most important reason, because we have a love that God has given us for the lost world. We want to see Repentance. We want to see a turn from this judgment and salvation. I pray that that's where our hearts are. I pray that that's where we are as individuals and as a church body. Please stand with me.